Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. With us today is our good friend, who I'm going to let you introduce yourself, David. David Russell. And David Russell, oh, I thought you said this more. is yeah. your first time on Pastor Potluck, which is the show that Court Green and I do occasionally. And uh, because it's your first time, I wanted to ask you to introduce yourself. And one question I like to ask people when they come on the show for the first time is, do you remember the name of the street that you grew up on? And if so, what was the name of the street? And what was it like growing up on that street? I was born and raised on East Street in Waynesville, North Carolina. I was born in a one-room shack by the light of a coal oil lantern, so I'm a native hillbilly from right here in the mountains. That's amazing. Is that a true story? That is true. Coal lantern. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and you're and you're a native. You're a local here to Waynesville. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I lived down the deep south, and it hit 105, and I said, I'm going back to the mountains, and I packed up and came home. Wow. <clears throat> so uh, you've known Waynesville uh, for a long time. What do you think of Waynesville now compared to when you were growing up? When I went away to college, there wasn't even a Russ Avenue there. When I came back, uh, where there was a beautiful apple orchard, there's a shopping center, and there's fast food restaurants. And I said, progress is not always good. Well, don't ever go we're, to Mooresville. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> building houses to the top of the mountains where I used to hike. I can't even go up there, and now it's gated community. Yeah, you know? we got a lot of those. But I tell you what, this my wife's a travel agent. She just drags me all over the world, and all the beautiful places I've been, I don't think anything beats Western North Carolina. Well, David didn't say much about <clears throat> his career, but he's reached a certain point in his career that he may or may not want to share about. But um, as is usually, not always, but usually the case here, it's two Methodists and a Baptist. And so David is one of those Methodists. Most of you know that Peter is as well. And so uh, let us know a little bit more about your time here, like your, your David retirement, is not serving. retirement. Yeah. David's serving at uh, Bethel United Methodist Bethel Church. United and Methodist you've been serving Church. there for nine years. I retired in 2011, at least I thought I did. And they needed somebody to fill in for the last pastor's last six months because of illness. And that was... Eight and a half years ago. Eight and a half years ago. <laughs> I thought I was going to just be there for a while, and I'm at the end of this year, I'm ready to retire again. At least I'm going to try it. Well, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, we're grateful to have you on the show, and uh, you, you're on the show partially, and I think probably because you started coming to the Wednesday Lectionary Group. I was going to bring that up. I, I am not a Methodist. I'm kind of i'm a baptist i kind of have some methodist leanings but for the most part i'm, I'm not well, officially i'm not and so i probably would have never met you had it not been for you suddenly showing up at i'm making it sound like you're an interloper you're not but when you started coming to this lectionary group that we had and that's how i also met well most of my friends really and it's been such a blessing having you there because you have everyone there brings their own perspectives and opinions and you add one to that and it's certainly been a rich experience having you there so i'm glad that i got to know you through that well at the lectionary each week we try to get through all four uh scriptures that are given to us from the lectionary i, I mean at the lectionary group that is but yesterday 
when we went, uh, the day, or I should say the day before we recorded this podcast, who knows when the podcast will be up. Yeah. Uh, we did. Today's yesterday. Yes. We didn't get to Psalm 112, which is in the lectionary. And so I was wondering if, David, you might be willing to read this for us and then we can talk about it. But first, uh, Peter's being kind. The reason we didn't get to it is because it was my day to leave and I totally forgot and <laughs> showed up late. And Peter sends me a message. I'm at home dealing with this whiny sack of baby and um peter's like hey you're leading today and i'm like crap <laughs> no preparation and just flew in there and we ended up talking about the other verses for a long time so my apologies to the rest of the group should they listen to this and now uh, take it away david if you if you don't mind reading okay psalm 112 praise the lord happy are those who fear the lord who greatly delight in his commandments. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The wicked see it and are angry. They gnash their teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked comes to nothing. Thank you, David. So one of the things that drives me crazy about the song, Psalms is you don't really know how you're supposed to look at them. In what tense should I look at it? Am I looking at it from the perspective of the psalmist? Most would say probably. But then on the other hand, if you're, if you're, if you're singing or praying or whatever, these ideas, how am I supposed to take the ideas? And this is one of those that stands out to me as one of those problematic, how do you view it kind of Psalms. Because if I view this, which a lot of people do with scripture, as a plumb line or some sort of measuring device that indicates how I'm doing as a follower of God or how much does God love me, then I can come away not feeling so great. Mm. For instance, uh, my foes have not been vanquished or melted away. I mean, I'm not saying that I have foes, but that's why I said for instance. But my hypothetical foes may still be there. Does that mean that God's not happy with me? And it's, it's not a far reach, if you look at it this way, to go straight over to prosperity gospel how I'm doing financially or how I'm doing as far as how's my life going at this moment becomes the way I determine if God really loves me or not and if I'm serving God well or not. And I don't think that's why this psalm is here in the lectionary today. I think it's because, well, this week, I think it's because all of them talk about taking care of the poor, and this psalm certainly does that. And so um, I, I just, how do you guys, both of you, think that we should look at not just this psalm but psalms in general and then i guess also specifically this psalm what is its purpose its usefulness 
What do you think, David? Well, actually, this is, you might say, half a psalm. Mm. Everything you read in the Bible, you have to consider it in the context. And Psalm 111 and Psalm 12 are identical in every way, and these things don't always come out in translations. They're in alphabetical order mm. and in couplets. Well, alphabet order. Huh? They're in alphabet order. That's right. That's right. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, on down through there. That's the ones. Yep. So they're and, in in order of Hebrew alphabetical. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. And and uh, Psalm 11 is is praising God for all of His wonderful works, and Psalm 12 picks up on what a difference it makes in our life when we know the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right at the very end of Psalm 111, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And Psalm 12 picks up just with the same style identically. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commandments. I like this because it's saying, when you know the Lord, you are a happier person and he brings good good things in. I mean, just look at the things he names that God does for us. I appreciate uh, that. I think if I hadn't um, had that insight and if I was looking just at Psalm 112, I might come away with a different kind of purpose or reason for it. I, I might say something like, well, this is about uh, how to identify people who are righteous yes Hmm. and i think the the reason for that i think personally i guess would be to invite me into contemplating the righteous kind of the way that early christians contemplated the saints you know you you spend time thinking about these these greats you know who have who have come before us and who have uh, lived lives that are that we would call righteous now and that maybe that'll help us to become more like them and ultimately become more like Christ. That's that's how I would look at this. But um, I realize that at, as we're reading through this, there's sort of a, the, the psalm is providing for us a definition of what it means to be righteous. And I wonder what y'all think, or how you would define in your own words, what is a righteous person? In today's uh, language, what what does a righteous person look like? That's hard because um, it's easy to fake things mm. in our culture today. It's very difficult to use any outward appearance mm. to judge not only one's righteousness, but um, one's if we are to ever judge someone's intrinsic value or their intelligence or Mm. or any number of things and so i i I honestly can't answer that question Mm. it should we ever be judging one's righteousness who are we to judge well i guess another way to ask that question is what are the characteristics Mm. about someone that we might admire or consider to be an exemplar in the faith i think verse seven is an important one uh, and, and along with six, they will never be moved, and they will be remembered forever. Um, the unmoving part of that, I think, is critical to having a, a righteous life because it's if if you're blown by the wind, then you're not going to be able to 
be grounded enough to have this quote-unquote righteous life. But then when you get to verse 7, they're not afraid of evil tidings. Mm. Their hearts are firm and secure in the Lord. So I think this confidence that's not in yourself that um, comes from an external source, if you want to use AA language, a higher power, but uh, rely, finding your not only confidence, but locust of self-control, etc., all these things in God, which is unmoving, keeps you grounded. And at that point, it doesn't matter what you are going through. You still have that confidence. What others say, um, as, as various tides shift um, and the world changes around you, which is certainly happening. It's always been happening, but we see it more visibly now. It's, I won't, I won't say it's easier, but you have a chance at being able to find the path and follow it mm. of righteousness. Mm. Whereas if you're dependent on some guru, uh, some preacher, some popular sentiment, um, I always think about the temperance movement. Thank you, Methodists. But I always, I always think about the temperance movement and how so many people after that thought, well, clearly the Bible says you're not supposed to ever drink. I mean, except that it doesn't. That's mm, the only problem. Right. You know? um, and, and how easy we conflate popular movements of right and wrong or popular moral movements with biblical teaching. Mm. Um, if, if you have what verse 6 and 7 talk about, because you're grounded in the Lord, then you don't have to worry about being pushed and pulled in all these various different directions and getting off the path of righteousness. So that's one characteristic I think is important to have from these verses. Does that sound right to you, David? Yeah, it's interesting you picked up on righteousness. As you go through these two Psalms, that word occurs several times. It's interesting in keeping with the way both of them are written which I kind of look at as almost one psalm there. Psalm 111 is talking about God's righteousness and mm. his righteousness endures forever. And Psalm 12 is talking about our righteousness comes only from God and the things it brings, the, mm. the joy, everything. I think joy is something we leave out sometimes. We talk about righteousness. Mm. There's a peace that comes with just doing the things that are right and you don't go with a, a uh, guilty conscience all the time. In fact, it's interesting the way he finishes this. He's talked all the way through this about all of the the things that uh, it does for us and what it brings out in us and feeding the poor and everything. And then on the last verse, he hits the righteous. What does it do for them? It says it makes them angry. They sit and gnash their teeth and they you melt mean the away. Wicked. Huh? You mean the wicked? You know, yeah, what I say? he said righteous, but that's righteous. Right. I meant unrighteous. Yeah, the the wicked see it, and he's because their life didn't amount to anything mm. in comparison. Yeah, right. I like the fact that you brought up one eleven, focusing on the righteousness of God, and in one twelve we see these um, ways that we can be empowered to be righteous like God, and I think that may be a nod to Genesis, the creation story. What are we? Images we are the of images God. of God, created to bear the image of God mm -hmm. on this world. So 
like we're little reflections of our creator and so mm-hmm. even when it comes to how we live and <clears throat> what qualities we display our, our righteousness can only be something that we are channeling that that comes from god or or mirroring or embodying somehow or trying to uh i guess imitate yeah hmm. well i want let's, let's talk about that for just a second this idea because i'm glad you brought it up uh our righteousness can only come from god because i have this friend and he's got a podcast but and i'm not gonna link to it or anything but um when i did his wedding hmm. uh, close like family friends of mine that i consider family he married one of the daughters so i did the wedding and then he you know was a professing christian and in the last year or two he said i don't think i am anymore so he takes his, this is horribly mean he takes his wife to her favorite restaurant sits in the in their booth that's air quotes their booth and says honey i'm an atheist now and she was like hot man i don't oh, wow. mean like she was attractive i mean like she was like angry, angry? yeah hmm. he's southern she was ill mm-hmm. but uh got over it um and I mean, I don't know how if she technically got over it or just learned to live with it. But he started this podcast where he's like, it's still only done like four episodes. And he goes online, like a call-in show. And he's like, all right, convince me there's a God. And, of course, it's in upstate South Carolina, so there's preachers calling all, all over the People are place. calling into him. People of my ilk. Yeah. Baptist <laughs> preachers that had to have zero education to get ordained, which is probably why he's an atheist now. Anyway, um... You don't have to get an education to be a follower of Jesus. No, you do not. And you don't have to have an education to have a strong faith. Um, Anyway. Or to be righteous. So these preachers call in all the time, and they're constantly telling them, if you don't believe in the Bible, you can't be moral. Mm. Well, can you not? Mm. Does righteousness only come from God? Or can we do righteous things? Well, don't conflate. Don't conflate the Bible and God there, right? True. That's a good point. uh, On the one hand, they're saying if you don't believe in the Bible, you can't be moral. Okay. Well, you you could. And then on the other hand, they have also said if you don't believe in God, I've been saying that righteousness is something that comes from God. Uh, I think we had conversations about passages in the New Testament where we see the righteousness of God on display Mm -hmm. sometimes. And people who are not yet believers or not yet baptized Pagans, or yeah. maybe had no familiarity with the Bible or very little. When the, uh, they don't call him a, a, a righteous person, but they do call him a Messiah. Who and that's Cyrus. About? Oh, Cyrus. In the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. This is someone that God used and in setting the people free did a righteous thing. Mm. I don't think that was a believer. So, I mean, I don't... It's, I kind of always come back to the who are we to judge thing. I'm not saying that you were being judgmental. I'm just saying I don't think we have a final answer on things like that. Hmm. What do y'all think? Well, if, if it comes down to eternal life and salvation, the question is, is righteousness assuring us salvation? We're not saved by works. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are obviously people who do good things who are not believers. It's not going to help them in the long run, but in this world, they're still good people. It depends on how you're looking at this. Yeah, well, that's true of everything. I I saw a thing on the web, a 
guy had gotten tired of people talking about all the good things Christians do, and he said, well, atheists can do good things too. Hmm. That stuck in my mind. I thought about that a lot. I thought, yeah, they can, but do they as a way of life? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I think he's saying, you know, that it's amazing how just knowing the Lord makes good things abound. We don't always do good things, and we don't always do them right, but it makes a difference in your life. Just like joy, that's one of the things, like I said, is prominent in this. Knowing the Lord produces a joy that I'm not sure everybody has that same joy, but they still know joy. We keep it well, down in our heart. Let's yeah. down in our heart. Let's <laughs> talk more about joy, though, because I think one thing that I <clears throat> I threw out there in the lectionary group yesterday is that joy is the evidence of flourishing. That, for example, mm-hmm. if I make decision. I, I guess I'm trying to say, by my living, I want the lives of those around me to flourish. Amen. I, I feel like that is part of my calling as a Christian, and and the question then becomes, well, how do I how do I know whether the lives of the people around me and the animals and the planet are flourishing? And I would say that my evidence of that. The visible evidence of that is joy. When someone's experiencing joy, it's a it's a release from the the way that they've been held down by responsibilities, uh, expectations that they either put on themselves or other put others put on them. The the limitations that keep them from just being themselves, being the this the child of God that God created them to be. What would you say about joy and how it's connected with righteousness? You know what I hate? What? Well, that's not where I thought you were going to go with this answer. Crabby Christians. Crabby Christians. Crabby Christians. A terrible witness of Christianity. (laughs) And sometimes you wonder about them. How much do they really know the Lord? But I tell you, Hmm. every one of us have pastored churches that somebody come up and say, well, if this guy's a member of your church, anybody can belong to it. Referring to the fact that... I know people just plain mean. Mm-hmm. They're members of the church. Are they really disciples of Christ? I don't know. But uh, I, I think joy is, I, I, I know if, if there was not a God and I'd lived as a Christian to minister all my life, I think I would still have been tremendously blessed because I know I would not have been the same person. Mm. I think that's and an interesting concept. one of that concept. is joy. I mean, I'm just a happy person. I am. This is an interesting concept, and it comes up a lot. Um, if I'm wrong and God's a myth, I mean, I know technically Christianity is based on myth, and it's, it's an idea and stories that are told about a God, technical definition of myth. But if I'm wrong and God's not real, mm-hmm. But it brings me joy. Who cares? Let me be joyfully wrong. You know? There you go. There you go. And that's kind of for. I I do recommend reading the Life of Pi. Some people have seen the movie. Love the movie. The book is really good too. And that's kind of the conclusion of the author, who is a who is a Christian. Um, that. But anyway, that's just a side note. If you want to read the book, it's a good book. Um, but David, where do you feel like Christians? Um, who who would be otherwise joyful kind of 
turn off the path and become crabby. <laughs> they like, become pastors. What? <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Like what? What? What's the what? What? What is? What is the thing about following in the Christian walk that that folks who are uh, who who are demonstrating crabbiness <laughs> are missing? Well. Well, I don't know quite how to answer that. Or if I was a crabby, I, I'm pastor at Crusoe Church. Nine miles of friendly people plus one old crab. That's our slogan. Yeah. <laughs> so for the crabs among us, uh, what's the way back to joy? Hmm. I don't know, but everybody does not show joy the same way. Mm-hmm. You... You sit with me 10 minutes, you know everything about me. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I talk a lot. I'm happy. I laugh a lot. A lot of people comment about that. They like that in my ministry because I I radiate joy. But there are people I think that I think of as crabby that probably are not. It's just their personality. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of those things not not to judge people. Right. But I think every one of us need to work on our personality sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, joy is just, I don't think I would be as happy as I am if I didn't know the Lord. In fact, I'm sure I wouldn't. Mm. I'm sure I would have gone the wrong direction a lot of times in my life. Yeah. But uh, how to, your question was, how do we get back to that joy when yeah. you must, <clears throat> I don't know the answer to that. You... Well, I think I think a potential answer is that forgiveness is not only a license to display joy, but an inv- invitation back to joy. Mm-hmm. And I think I think of it in terms of like Christmas gifts or any gift. Um, people don't give you that gift unless they're just real a holes. People don't give you a gift to make you sad or to bring you pain people give you a gift hoping to see your face light up with joy and so the gift that we have and continue to receive from god forgiveness grace mercy is mercy is every time we realize once again what we've received that's an invitation to as peter phrased it come back to joy no matter what it was that took us for whatever reason away from it to celebrate to give thanks yeah to remember what god has done in our lives and another way of saying all of that is worship yeah yeah Mm -hmm. worship which is a collective expression Mm -hmm. in the you know prayer and 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 meditation contemplation of of the righteous ones uh would be the the private i think component of that um yeah, you're you're right when you when you say David that not everyone's personality is the same. We can't exp- we can't expect to see the same outward mm-hmm. signs of see, of an inward an righteousness. Is that like when when you if you were to walk onto the whatever pulpit stage whatever you have one Sunday and be like really quiet and you're very you know cerebral. And you give a message, but you're not laughing and smiling like you normally are, as I've gotten to know you. People will say, what is wrong with this dude? On the other hand, 
were I to walk out and take the stage and be like, I'm so excited to be here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do some wonderful worshiping today. Oh, my goodness. Listen to Marky belt those tunes. Look at the smile on my face ear to ear, baby. They would run away. Who is this guy who has invaded Court's body? I mean, but we are all different. We show mm-hmm. it differently. That's what I'm saying. You'd make a good televangelist, you know. <laughs> if I was in that situation, yeah. But that, that ain't me. <laughs> You're saying some people might think you were possessed. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, what did you do with our pastor? I mean, an old priest and a young priest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of these questions I ask just because I'm the youngest one on the show and I get to ask the silly and dumb About questions. Like two years or something. <laughs> Not that far apart, are we? Well, How old I'm are a, you? I'm in a totally different generation. I'll be 35 <clears throat> this year. Here we are. Uh, six years apart, almost seven. If you were going to turn Psalm 112 into a sermon, either of you, this is a question for both of you. I would avoid it like the plague because I hate preaching the Psalms. Well, I'm not not giving you that chance today. That's why you asked the question because you don't have to answer it. What is the, and and the the question that I ask when I'm thinking about how to turn a piece of passage of scripture into a sermon is to ask, what is the good news? What is the good news about this particular passage of Scripture that would be good news to the people that I am preaching to? And I want to, I want to hear what y'all, what y'all think about. So, that. to answer your original question, how would I go about making it? And I'll come back to the good news, but how would I go about making it into a sermon? I, I approach Psalms when I have to, or sometimes challenge myself by choosing to preach Psalms. I approach them different than I do any other pericopes. And that is, I start thinking musically. Mm. Because I music is like a foreign thing to me. So I'll listen to a lot of songs that mean a lot to me. And I'll start to parse their words and think, well, what was the message in this? And then I'm in that mind frame. And I'll go back to the psalm and think, you know, what is the, the underlying message? What is the thing that ties this all together? As I look at those things, what ties it all together, what's the underlying message, I see this this praise to God for what God produces in us. Hmm. And I think Spe- the good news... Specifically those role models that we have, yeah. the righteous. Yeah, the and, righteous and versus, there's a comparison. It's not necessarily line by line, but there is a comparison in here. Versus those who don't have that influence and what their lives produce. And so I would probably... You're known as the wicked. The wicked, yeah. Yeah. As defined by the psalmist. Mm -hmm. And so what I would probably do, as far as the good news in this psalm, is using those ideas, um, point out that this is available to any of us. Mm. That our lives can produce righteousness Mm -hmm. not because we're so great Mm -hmm. but because of the soil in which we plant ourselves yeah what do you think david your answer is probably gonna be much better than that because you are musical and you and you also love preaching the psalms so let's hear it i love preaching psalms and i love music yeah i would have i would have gone into music as a profession if i hadn't gone into ministry and Music and laughter are just two of the most important things in my life. And I think being a Christian has a lot a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember what your question was now. <laughs> How would you preach this? 
Yeah. Why would I preach that? Well, I have preached it before, and I've preached about the differences it makes in our life, which is exactly what we're talking about here. And you go down through here, he uh, he just lists them out as a list. These mm -hmm. are these are what's going to uh, be different in your life, and you come to know the Lord. And I found that to be to be true in in my life. And I try in my preaching to make sermons practical, not mm -hmm. just a homily, you know. This is what God's doing in your life. Yeah. And this song that does it, David is just, uh, you, as you go through the Psalms, you can just see the different moods David goes through, the mistakes he makes. He was a very human person, everything. But he always came back to, to God. And uh, God's answer to that was, I like you. He's a man after my heart, you know. That's what he wants. But and he loved music, and he—I uh, think I got the right name when I named me that. I also played the harp. So. I think I think there you go. I was just sitting here while you were <laughs> your talking, namesake, yeah. And I, I heard you say David went through this and that, and always came yeah. back to God. And I thought he didn't say King David. This man could be talking about himself. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say oh, Simon Says. I <laughs> Yeah, I never was made king. But yeah. There's still time, I, I, brother. But you know, it's amazing that he, he did about everything wrong. I can identify with that, I'll tell you. Yeah, Every one of us goof up on things and do the wrong things. But uh, you know one thing Christianity does, it keeps you from going off the deep end. Mm. You know you can come back to God, you can be forgiven, and it comes right back to that thing of joy. Mm. And uh, That's the beautiful thing. It's not just that we have mercy and <clears throat> grace as an invitation back to joy but it's a standing invitation mm -hmm. and I think we, we often because we live in a society and I don't mean necessarily our country but just the way people are that wants to see retribution punishment you will pay right. for your sins and so it becomes a foreign concept to us that no matter how far we stray no matter how verse 10 wicked we become we can always come back mm. There because in our world, the possibility yeah, of redemption. In possible. our world, that makes you a sucker. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think I, I'm kind of falling in love with the idea that God knows God is a sucker and doesn't care. <laughs> and it's welcomes sucker, it. Sucker for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Loves us no matter what. Yeah, I think that we see morality outside of the Christian space. We see people acting in moral ways. And. And even, I think, recently on Twitter, of all places, I've seen a new kind of morality developing um, in popular culture where the collective kind of evaluates whether someone is righteous or not. And uh, if they're found to be unrighteous, they are dismissed out of hand. And they, they may as well just go crawl under a rock and die because there's no redemption. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And so that's what brings me back to scripture and to just giving thanks for the tradition that we have in the Christian faith, which is, which is a morality tradition among other things, but which involves and includes the possibility of redemption, the possibility of, of, of being restored uh, in relationship with God. So like Elihu in the book of Job, who's the youngest uh, and the last to speak, if, if you don't mind, 
I think I'll share what I, how I would preach this. And it comes back to these verses uh, 7 and 8 that we mentioned earlier. Uh, they will not be afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. I think I would just leave it with that because I think that there are, uh, there are so many of us Christians or just people today who, who feel so unsteady mm-hmm. in the world around them that's so constantly changing. And I know from my personal experience in faith, which is not something that is, um, that is, that is always steady, but that in those moments where I feel like I am in, in a, a good relationship and connection with God, I feel that, that quiet confidence, that courage to face the present moment, knowing that, that God and I, there's no separation there, that, that I have been uh, reconciled to God in some way. And so everything that I would otherwise be afraid of, everything that would otherwise make me nervous that I didn't have what it takes, all of a sudden that sort of melts away and I, I receive this courage to just face whatever's coming. And, and that's, the, that's the stability, the security, the firmness of heart that I feel like the psalm is talking about and that I would want to offer to those who are listening to such a sermon, just to say, like, they're in the midst of everything that is changing around you. Like, it doesn't mean that we, can, we can't make it stop but we can get our hearts right so that we feel firm and secure to face whatever's coming and not be afraid. Yeah, I I think this would be a good uh, sermon for people that are on the borderline, one of those try it and see things, you know. You know, just try Jesus Christ. Mm. See if, if there's not more joy in your life. Not only that, you find yourself doing better works and improves your character. Mm. Uh, it, it makes a difference. There's a concept. And see, you know. Hmm. There's a concept in missiology called redemption and lift, which is when people come to faith. Define missiology. The study of missions, now called cross-cultural studies. Okay. But the, back when I was in the Stone Age, when I was going through seminary, it was missiology. Anyway, <laughs> so redemption and lift is people come to Christ and their values change. And maybe they're not so selfish anymore, or they're actually thinking of others. And so they start to behave differently. And so perhaps they wouldn't go drink away all their savings. Um, instead, they'll actually save them. Um, or they'll be harder workers because they're not cavorting or whatever. I don't know. It, it, it's a theory. But... Um, Seems we've to fit really it, well with the Protestant out. work ethic. Yeah, and we, the we've seen of it. Capitalism. It's not just. It's not just. <laughs> it's, it, it also, your families and your communities are yeah, benefited. Yeah. But anyway, it uh, eventually they, they look around and like, wow, look how much God has blessed me. Hmm. And you got to wonder, like, it's not so much that God gave you this. Your life may be better now, but it's because. God reshaped your focus. Hmm. You were capable of this the whole time. And God has shown you where you should be focusing. And I think that's present in in your try it and see model um, or example. Because a lot of times people will pay lip service to hmm. faith. 
Mm-hmm. But when they really try it and really give it a go, they see that it actually does change things, be it practical things like redemption lift or be it something more spiritual or even psychological, feeling more grounded and not adrift. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we've solved it, boys. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Try, try and see. Yeah. <laughs> try and see. Yeah, taste and see that the Lord is good. There you go. I think that's from the Psalms, too. Yeah. I don't have a slogan. I can't believe it's not butter. Okay, there. <laughs> yeah. And I helped. All right, so uh, that's we're at 40 minutes if you want to wrap up. Well, uh, before we break our arms patting ourselves on the back, uh, I wonder, what are we missing? Verse 3. What's verse 3? Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. You got a problem with it? <laughs> Am I not righteous if I'm not wealthy and rich? That's 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 good question. Be careful. That's the that's the uh, the whole prosperity gospel influence yeah. you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. What do we do with that, um, David? It's it's interesting that uh, one of the messages that comes at us in the Psalms, <clears throat> and this one suddenly is. Being rich really is not what makes you happy. Yeah. It's what people think is going to make them happy. Mm. It's astounding how many people have won the lottery and ended up committing suicide. I'm mm. willing to test that theory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard someone say... I won four bucks the other day. I, All right. I heard someone say once that whoever said money can't buy happiness obviously had too much of it. <laughs> yeah, Everclear. Um, I hate those people who try to tell you money is the root of all that kills. They've never been poor. They've never had the joy of a welfare Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there is truth in, in in that wealth doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. And I think anyone who's been down that road has figured that out. H- happiness yeah. can reconfigure what riches are, though. Yeah. Um, the joy found in the Lord or from some other source yeah. can reshape our ideas of what is true wealth. Yeah. Yeah. What is What is what makes me consider myself a blessed human being. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but I've had this funny feeling that God has heard my prayers when I've prayed for things that I want, you know, and just set those aside until I gave up wanting them. And then all of a sudden brought those things back into my life. I, I spent years thinking about how I would, if I had a, a big yard, like what fruit trees I would plant in it. And I, you know, this is a way, I mean, I don't think I would have called it a prayer at the time, but it was a longing. It was a desire. If I had articulated it as a prayer, it would have been, God, I wish that you would give me enough wealth so that I could own some land and plant it as a vineyard and things like that. Well, I had to let go of that when I became a preacher. I was like, well, they're going to move me around. I'm never going to own a house. Like it's just going to, and the first house that I moved into as a preacher um, is this parsonage with this big, beautiful lawn. And the congregations, I said, can I plant a garden here? They said, yep, if you want to plow out the whole lawn, you go ahead. <laughs> can I plant some fruit trees here? Yeah, of course, go ahead. And it was that I gave up on that dream and that longing for that thing, which was like property, to give me happiness and joy and said, God, let me just serve your church however you want me to serve. And then all of a sudden, here it is. And I think that's a be- perhaps a better way to look at wealth and riches. <clears throat> it's that these, these sort of come 
to those who are, and this may be, maybe I'm sounding really prosperity gospel here now, <laughs> but, uh, but these things can come, but when we put our hope in them, uh, we won't, we won't experience the joy that, that could come from them. If we put our hope instead in God and these things come along with it, then at least our, we've, re- we've rightly ordered our love. And, and so then if they're taken away from us, then we don't lose our joy either. See, I was almost going to, I'm still going to, but that last sentence gives me pause. Um, we wanted a second kid, like so bad. Mm. And then we both just gave up on that. Yeah. And then in our 40s, here we are. Yeah. yeah. Now, then you said they can be taken away. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to offer this example. But um, I mean, this, look at Abraham and Sarah. Okay. Yeah. God asked them to give their son up. Um, but then, anyway, said, that's I, a different. I don't really want that, which means did God ever want that to begin with? You know? That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a different richness than the world knows too. We don't mm. want to forget that. Mm. People, uh, you just think of the people who were very selfish, making riches came to know the Lord and found more happiness in giving it away and feeding the poor than yeah, like they and, and they have they have a happiness the world doesn't know and that joy is a richness that the rest of the world is seeking and really not finding. They're yeah. always trying to it's funny, the more you have the more you want and I think Christ frees us from that a lot of times. We get happiness. Some of my favorite people, heroes of the faith, are people like St. Francis of Assisi and Mother Teresa and people that just make me embarrassed that they just gave away everything they had. Yeah. Mm. You know, and that was a way of life. Mm. Well, you've answered the question. You've answered the question that I started off with, which is who do we look to? Who are the righteous? You've given us two examples, St. Francis of Assisi and Mother Teresa. I mean, it can be, it can be, Simple, more, much more simple than that. Like, I, I consider Father Tim, who used to be there. Uh, I, I nodded towards Andrews. the church across yeah. the street. I consider him to be yeah. certainly a mentor of faith when it comes to righteousness. Is he perfect? No. Yeah. But, um, and I have other examples like that. But mm-hmm. That's just a local one that I could name. Yeah. Any final thoughts uh, on Psalm 112 or on. Uh, the the ways to identify or to become a righteous person um no (laughs) well i always come back to the fact that uh one of the main lessons we're learning in the new testament is righteousness is not always something we do it's something god bestows on us and we're his children because he loves us and that's comforting because <clears throat> we're all going to mess up at some point. Yeah. And it's always good and others forgiveness. Mm. Amen. You, Peter, any final thoughts? No, I think uh, I think we've done a really uh, good job. Opened it up to me, definitely. Opened up especially, I think, I think this is my final takeaway, is the, <clears throat> the way in which repentance and uh, reconciliation between ourselves and God has the potential to get us back on that path and give us that experience of joy and lead us in the in the way of righteousness. 
This is Pastor Potluck. May your joy be full. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantia. And we've been joined today by David Russell. David, David. thank you so much. And uh, I think you're a blessing in our lectionary group and also today on the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Peace.